All right. Uh, other than that, uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, tonight, we're going to jump out of the series of the teachings of Jesus, and we're going to talk about Christmas, right? The, the meaning of Christmas, so to speak, what it's all about. Um, and, and really what we're going to get into then is the great and glorious mystery of the incarnation. The incarnation, God becoming man, God taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe Christmas is all about. So I'm excited to fix our hearts and minds on this truth tonight. So let's go ahead and read our passage, pray and dig in. Uh, Jonathan, would you go ahead and read our passage for us? And everybody, if you got your sheet, go ahead and look along as he reads. See to it that no one takes you back, captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Colossians 2, 8-10. Great, thank you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you now, uh, I am a weak, impotent, frail man, and uh, my words have no power to change hearts. This message is completely devoid uh, of any effectiveness apart from your spirit showing up and working in a special way in the hearts of these young souls tonight. So, Father, I pray that you would be at work, that you would have mercy on them, that you would have mercy on us. Your grace would abound. Your spirit would be present. I pray for freedom and liberty to declare the glory of your son tonight. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, our passage tonight comes through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Come on in, guys. Actually, grab a sheet at that back corner. You're going to need it. Welcome. Danielle, grab a sheet at that back corner. Lizzie, too. Yeah. Come on in. How did Michael beat you guys? Like, is he really the committed one out of the group? I'm just, I'm just. Okay. All right. Have a seat. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so like I was saying, so this passage that's before you right now, it comes through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And so for a quick refresher, uh, Paul was at one point in his life extremely, I mean, he hated, he opposed Jesus, the, the gospel, and his followers at every turn. Uh, in fact, Paul authorized, he stood over uh, and authorized the stoning. They beat a man who believed in Jesus to death and he approved of it. Uh, uh, and so Paul was a vicious enemy of the gospel. But then in a miraculous vision and an encounter with the living risen Jesus Christ, Paul was transformed instantly. Boom. The rest of his life changed forever. And instead of attacking the Christian faith, he dedicated all of his being, all of who he was, to traveling all around the world proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And so he would travel from town to town uh, by foot and sea, and he would share this gospel. And as people heard the good news, they would believe, they would trust in Jesus. And then these groups of Christians would start gathering together to encourage one another, to talk about Scripture, to talk about Jesus. Jesus, and they became what we call churches, 
churches. Churches started popping up all over. And so when Paul was away, because he would keep traveling, he would keep going from different towns, he would write letters back to these churches that came and sprouted up through his ministry. Uh, he would write letters back to these groups to provide encouragement, instruction, and he often would need to address like these particular specific issues or, or questions uh, that arose among these newly formed churches. And in this case, in the letter that we're going to look at today, it's a letter to the church in Colossae in, in our passage tonight. One of the primary concerns, the, the main heart of Paul in this letter is to address a false teaching, uh, a, a false teaching that's spreading among uh, by some influential leaders to the church. And so he begins our passage tonight with a warning. So that's why he's beginning with the warning. He's addressing that there's this false teaching among these new believers going around and he wants to address it. So look at verse eight. See what he says there. He says, Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive. Here's the warning. Don't let someone take you captive. Now, that word captive, it evokes the imagery of being controlled, being dominated, be taken over by another. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Louis Zamperini. Any ringing bells? Uh, well, uh, before World War II, like right before World War II, uh, Louis was becoming one of the most renowned, famous phenom high school track stars in America. Uh, just for reference, while he was a junior, he ran a mile in four minutes and 21 seconds. Is that fast? That's really fast. Uh, uh, he broke all sorts of records. Indeed, Louis was so good that in 1936, uh, he qualified for the World Olympics in the 5,000 meter run at the age of 19. And he didn't even run 5,000 meters. That was his fourth time contesting in that run. He was insane. He was really, really good. Uh, but sadly, uh, while Louis provided, uh, proved to be an amazing talent, he, he was a beast, he never had the chance to reach his potential because guess what came right after? World War II and the Olympics were canceled in 1940. So he couldn't compete again. Uh, he was drafted into the military for a fight for America against the Axis powers. And while fighting in the war through a series of unfortunate events, this guy, I think he gets uh, shot out of a plane. He gets stranded in the ocean, I think about almost 39 days. He, he survives uh, starvation, uh, his friends trying to eat him, sharks, the blazing sun. But then after surviving all this time in the ocean, like all you see is water all around you, he gets captured by Japanese forces. It just doesn't get any better. That's just a lot worse if you read the book. Um, in the next few years, he spent uh, being under the control of some evil men. They told him when to wake up, when to eat, if they fed him, uh, when to work, when to sleep. In short, they determined every decision of his life. Students, this is what Paul is getting at when he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That is, there are people, there are leaders, there are messages, there are influencers who will seek to take you captive, but not with guns, not with knives, not with bombs uh, like Louis, but with what? Look back at verse eight with me. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So not guns, not rifles, uh, philosophy and empty deceit. Now, while that word philosophy in our time, uh, when you hear it, uh, you might think of a, uh, the, the study 
the, the discipline that seeks to answer questions like, what is truth? Like, what is truth? Uh, what is time? What is knowledge? Uh, what is justice? And so forth. But that's not how Paul is using the word here. He's not using it to refer to a discipline that asks those metaphysical questions. Rather, he's using it like in a broad, more general way as a way to reference any system of beliefs, values, ideals, or principles, any like structured uh, system of beliefs. For example, in the ancient world, uh, one of the writers in one of these old manuscripts we have refers to Judaism. He refers to the beliefs of the ancient Israelite faith. He calls it a philosophy. He calls it a philosophy. So Paul, listen to me, he's not condemning uh, the study of philosophy as we understand it. He's not condemning that, but he is telling us to watch out for, for beliefs, a sets of beliefs and practices that are what he describes as empty deceit, empty deceit. Uh, in other words, he says, students, beware, be alert, be on the guard, be on watch, because there are people in your life, they're going to promote, they're, they're going to advocate for certain ideas, and certain lifestyles that don't deliver what they promise. They come up short. They sell you a bill that doesn't actually come through. And he says, don't buy what they're selling. In fact, be expecting it. Be anticipating ideas that are going to seek to take you captive. Um, students, this is exactly why I'm here tonight. This is why I got into student ministry. This is why I became a pastor, because growing up, I was I was influenced. Uh, I was taught and then I was taken captive uh, by empty and false philosophies. And those philosophies, as you know, they told me, get high, get drunk, have sex, sell drugs. And that would bring you glory, Robert. That would bring you satisfaction. That would bring you joy. But in the end, it led me to self-destruction. The false philosophies promised me life, but they couldn't deliver. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Don't get taken captive by ideas, by, by uh, lifestyles that don't deliver what they promise. And so, and notice what the foundation, notice where the empty philosophies find their wisdom. Where do they come? How are they created? Not God, but look at verse 8 again. Paul says, look at your papers. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In other words, vain, worthless Philosophies that, that corrupt our hearts and ruin our lives, they often come first, uh, he says, through human tradition. That is, what people, uh, based on their, their own understanding, their own wisdom, apart from God, so they're reasoning through the world, apart from God, what conclusions do they come to, what do they cook up, and then they hand it down to others. And they hand it down, and they hand it down. And, and that's why there is nothing new under the sun. There is no lie that you have heard or seen that is old or new. It's old. Uh, lies like God doesn't exist. Money will bring you happiness. Sex is where you can find ultimate fulfillment. Uh, or I am only as good as my performance. These are all very, very old lies. Old philosophies that have been taught for a long time. None of them are new. 
So, so one base, one foundation is human tradition. Uh, the next base, uh, Paul tells us to note, uh, is, is the elemental spirits of the world. Uh, and for us, we're like, what? <laughs> we don't, that's not the kind of language we use. Uh, but in ancient times, the, the material parts of our existence, so you got earth, you got water, uh, you got wind, the sun, the moon, and so forth, they were often uh, uh, considered to have like godlike powers. They were divinized, uh, deified. They were often worshiped as gods. And, and, and it was so common, it was so common uh, that Paul could make this statement and the readers would immediately understand that he's talking about the various philosophies that promote giving worship or giving the place of, of supremacy in our hearts to the created parts of the world. And, and while in America, you know, we don't typically uh, bow down to uh, in, our, in our closet, we don't have a, a shrine and a gold statue and bow down to it. Um, but we do give our hearts away to material objects like money, like, like cars, clothes, phones, gadgets, and on and on. We do trust in the material possessions of the world to bring us this, this sense of, of, of completion and fulfillment and wholeness. And, and we give, if we're honest, more commitment, uh, uh, more attention to those created things and not to the creator. And so I just want to be really clear, real quick. Let's make this clear. Paul is not saying that all human traditions are bad. Like your Christmas traditions with your family, he's not condemning. Unless they're bad. But, but you know, he's not condemning all human traditions. And, he, and he's definitely not saying that all material possessions are bad. God created the universe. He created sugar and salt and, and delicious food for us to enjoy and, and give thanks to him for. So he's not condemning either human tradition as a whole or uh, the material world, uh, but he makes it clear what he's getting at at the end of uh, verse eight. And Paul clarifies in this last phrase of verse eight when he summarized that the problem with all of these philosophies, the problem with all of them is that they're not according to Christ. That's the problem. They're not based and rooted in the truth about Jesus, the God-man who came in the flesh. That's the problem. In fact, they're anti-Christ. Uh, they oppose the teachings in person of Jesus. And, and, and we know, like if you were to read the rest of the letter and study it, we know that the particular philosophy, uh, the, the specific lie that Paul is putting his finger on in this, in this letter over and over again, the particular uh, falsehood that he wants to correct and instruct the, the believers out of is the Jesus and lie. The Jesus and lie. That is the lie that says in order to have a right and good relationship with God in life, you need Jesus and something else. You need Jesus and. See, in that ancient city of Colossae, uh, some of those leaders were teaching these new believers that, yes, you need to trust in Jesus. Yes, you do. Uh, but if you're really going to be right with God... If you're really going to have a good relationship with God, uh, you're going to need to keep these holidays, these special holidays. Uh, you're going to have to follow some strict diet regulations, actually. And if you're a male, you got to get circumcised. It's Jesus and those things. You can't just have Jesus without those. 
Um, if you do all these things, you can be restored back to God. But the Apostle Paul, he wants none of it. <laughs> he wants none of that nonsense. Uh, 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 and, to, and to do away with this, Jesus and lie, look at what he says in verse 9. He writes, for, and kind of think of that as like, because. Like that is, don't be ca taken captive, uh, believers in Colossae, uh, students in this room, don't be taken captive by the Jesus and lie and the other false philosophies of the world. Why? What's his reasoning? How does he convince them that they don't need Jesus and something else? How does he, how does he convince them? Uh, uh, verse, uh, look at verse 9. For, because... In him, that's in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. Students, 2,000 years ago, the son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, he's eternal, he's always existed and he's infinite in power and glory and wisdom. He became a man. He took on flesh, bones, blood, eyes, hair, all of it. The, the, the humble, meek, compassionate one, he who loved and he died for his enemies, he who, while hanging from a cross, soaked with his own precious and holy good blood, says these words, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That same one, Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity, every power, everything that God is, all of his glory is in him. In Jesus. Uh, and, and so when we trust in him, the Holy Spirit, he comes to dwell in us through and Jesus does through him. And we're filled in Christ. We're filled in G by Jesus. So Paul says, don't be taken captive. Don't be dominated and controlled and ruled by lies. You don't need Jesus and money. You don't need Jesus and a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't need Jesus and an awesome career and good education and the American dream. You don't need anything else but Jesus. That's all you will ever need. The whole fullness of deity dwells within him and he in you by faith in Christ. Jesus is the center of it all. Oh, it's amazing. It's crazy. So, so. Because in him you have the fullness of God, don't believe and don't be taken captive by the Jesus and lie. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you to see this truth. Our eyes will be blinded. Uh, we won't be able to see and behold the glory of Jesus as he, he's laid before us in this passage. That he is everything you are. And through him we have you and we need nothing else. So, Father, just encourage us, refresh us. If we're believers already, remind us of how secure we are in Christ. And if for those who don't know him here, Father, may they put their trust in him now. May they seek after him now. May they make their life about knowing the son who came to die for them, who is God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.